In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Uh, God willing, today we're going to continue studying in the book of Exodus. Last uh, week we finished chapter 21, which was the chapter immediately after chapter 20, which is the one where God um, gives the Ten Commandments. Chapter 21 is additional laws, various laws that God gave to Moses to govern all kinds of different things. As we had said um, at the formation of the, the nation of Israel, that's really what we're observing is the formation of the nation, which includes all of the laws, everything that, um, that, that, that the people need in order to govern themselves. So God is giving them exactly everything that they need and how he wants them to function. Um, and also like what we said, is these laws are very specific to the Jews during this period of time. So this is why, for instance, we don't have, we don't apply all of these laws exactly as, um, as God gives them here to the Israelites. We don't, we don't apply them today. The consequences for certain sins are not applied exactly like this. For instance, we talked about how it said that anyone who curses their parents or disobeys their parents or um, doesn't respect their parents should be stoned right? This isn't something that we apply um, today. The command to honor your father and mother we apply, but the exact law um, that God gave of how we, you know, dole out a punishment for breaking that command is not something that we, we still apply today. So, um, so uh, we, we spoke about many laws. Um, today in chapter 22, there are um, more laws as well that we will continue to read about. So th this uh, first part here is speaking about theft, the laws about regarding theft. So if, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. So the compensation is not just to um, return just or, or compensate one to one, but actually there is uh, you compensate more. Five oxen for each ox stolen and four sheep for each sheep stolen. If the thief is found breaking in, and he is struck so that he dies, there shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. If the sun has risen on him, there shall be guilt for his bloodshed. He should make full restitution. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. So what do you think about this? What does this mean? If a thief is found breaking in, and he is struck, meaning the, the owner, the, the, let's say the person who lives in the house, the thief is coming and breaking in his house. So the owner strikes the thief as he is breaking in, and the thief dies. There shall be no guilt for this, for this killing. Okay, But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be guilt if he is killed. He should make full restitution. Now he's speaking about the thief. The thief should make full restitution. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. So what does it mean? Hmm? Yes. Well, almost, but, but this is speaking about what, like the first part was right, but, but the, the second part, he's saying, if the sun has risen on him, meaning if, if, if the sun has risen on him, there shall be guilt for the bloodshed. The bloodshed is who? The bloodshed is the blood that is shed from the owner killing the thief. So he's speaking about two scenarios. One is when the thief is breaking in, and he, he gets killed as a, as a part of breaking in. And the second scenario is he kills him later. Oh, like. Don't hold a grudge, like. Yeah, th this is the difference between like you're, you're in the struggle of trying to prevent him from committing the crime, he dies, versus a premeditated murder of him later, right? So this is this is we we spoke. I think maybe it was a couple of weeks ago about the idea of the premeditation and whether it's uh, whether it's okay for someone to take revenge, um, uh, you know, depending on the crime that was committed to them. So here, like 
the idea here is clear that it says like and, and, and this is really the way that you know like like nowadays even this is this would apply like if somebody breaks into your house and as a part of that you end up killing him to defend yourself you would not be guilty right but if having now this happened to you you go and seek out this person and you kill him then you would be you would be guilty because there is a justice system that applies to take care of this right not not vigilante justice so so that's what he's saying here he's saying he's saying if the if the killing happens as part of the breaking in then this is there's no there's no guilt right but if 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 the owner decides to go hunt him down later on then there would be guilt um, and then as far as the repayment, the compensation, okay, he said he should make full restitution. So there should be compensation. And if he cannot make compensation because he has nothing, then he shall be sold as a slave. Um, and and we, st we spoke about in the chapter about slavery, um, with the talk about all the laws of the slavery. We talked about how um, really the, the, the one of the, the ways that anyone who is Hebrew could become a slave is in a situation like this, where he is o he's owing money and he cannot pay it, so he chooses to sell himself as a slave or his family. Um, here, it's again, it's against his will; he cannot pay it, um, so so he would be sold as a slave. If the theft is certainly found alive in his hand, whether it is an ox or donkey or sheep, he shall restore double. So, if the thing that was stolen was like a cattle, like an animal, then then he shall restore double. If a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed and lets loose his animal and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard. So here it's speaking about not theft per se, but like negligence, okay? A man um, uh, allows uh, his animal to go and wander around and feeding in another man's field. Okay, so again, if this happens, then there shall be compensation, and the man who allowed this to happen would give of his own field and the best of his own as a compensation for allowing his animal to kind of run free and to do that. If fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that the stacked grain, standing grain, or the field is consumed, he who kindled the fire shall surely make restitution. So again, if there was negligence and a person through negligence uh, allowed there to be a fire that consumed the field, the property of another person, then there shall be uh, restitution. If a man delivers to his neighbor money or articles to keep and it is stolen uh, out of the man's house, if the thief is found, he shall pay double. So, so keep in mind here, like let's say, you know, there's no banks, right? Like imagine you are gonna be away from your, your home for a while. Um, and so you have valuables in your in your house and you want to make sure that it's safe. So what was common to people to do is they would take their valuable items and they would give it to a neighbor and they would tell him, keep this safe for me until I return. Okay. So if a man delivers to his neighbor his money for safekeeping, right, and it's stolen out of the man's house, right, if the thief is found, the thief will pay double. Okay. If the thief is not found, then the master of the house shall be brought to the judges to see whether he has put his hand into his neighbor's goods. Okay, so 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 if if the if if the if 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 we if they have not found the thief, then they need to investigate to see has any one of these people been involved in this theft. Okay, has has the man who um, who received the items um, stolen it? Like what's what's uh, like like what's what's happened? For any kind of trespass, whether it concerns an ox, a donkey, a sheep, or clothing, or for any kind of lost thing which another claims to be his, the cause of both parties shall come before the judges, and whomever the judges condemn shall pay double to his neighbor. So, again, there's an investigation that happens, and the judges will decide um, what is the compensation. If a man delivers to his neighbor a donkey, an ox, or a sheep, or any animal to keep and it dies, is hurt, or driven away, no one seeing it, then an oath of the Lord shall be between them both that he has not put his hand into his neighbor's goods, and the owner of it shall accept that he shall, and he shall not make it good. So this means, again, if, if a person um, lets his neighbor for safekeeping keep an animal of his own, 
donkey, ox, sheep, or any animal, okay? And then something happens to the animal. Either the animal dies, or the animal is hurt, or the animal runs away, okay? And no one un knows why this happened, right? It just it happened, nobody knows why. Then there shall be an oath, right, between the two people, right? Like essentially promising, like the, the one who, who, ha who was keeping the things would promise, the neighbor would promise to the owner saying, like, uh, you know, I, it's, not, it's not in my hand. I don't know what happened. It's, I did not do this, right? And so that there will be no, like, punishment for this because there's no evidence. There's no proof of what exactly happened, okay? But if, in fact, it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to the owner of it. If it is torn to pieces by a beast, then he shall bring it as evidence and shall not make good what was torn. So if, if, um, if there is evidence to show that something has, you know, th 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 like we know who, who did this, or if it is torn by another animal, like came and killed it, right? Then, um, again, if it's something that is out of the hands of the neighbor, then he, um, he is not responsible. And if a man borrows anything from his neighbor and it becomes injured or dies, the owner of it not being with it, he shall surely make it good. If, it is, if, if, if its owner was with it, he shall not make it good for if it was hired, for it came for its hire. So it, what is it saying now? If, if the man, if the one who is keeping it, okay, like is the one responsible for it becoming injured or dying because the man is with the animal at the time when this happens, so the man is the one responsible, then he has to pay compensation, okay? But if the owner was present, then he does not have to pay compensation because ultimately the owner is the one responsible. So you see the rules are like very detailed, right? Like very detailed rules because think about like, you know, the, the laws, the system of laws has to be able to um, apply to so many different scenarios and things that happen. That's why, the, that's why the, the laws are so many laws, right? And so God here is establishing the laws that are going to be the most um, kind of needed and required for this group of people um, who are going to be wandering for a long time in the wilderness. Now it switches to laws related to adultery and fornication. So it says, If a man entices a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall surely pay the bride price for her to be his wife. So essentially, if he commits fornication with this virgin, then he is saying that we are going to, he's, good, he's required to marry her, okay, and for her to become his wife. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money according to the bride price of virgin. So at the time there is um, this bride price, so whenever... Um, uh, like a, 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 a daughter would marry, the, the groom would pay a certain amount of money to her father. Okay, that was the custom. So if uh, the father does not want this man to marry his daughter, then he's still obliged to pay this bride price even though he is not going to marry her. You shall not permit a sorceress to live. Okay, this is kind of under the same um, section. Um, because this would be considered like spiritual adultery, right? So, so in addition to like the physical adultery, the spiritual adultery is the adultery against God, right? It's the idol worship and sorcery, the occult, um, all of these things. Um, God made it very clear that he does not permit these things and that these things are real. Um, you know, nowadays, like many people tend to discount these things as being real, and consider it to be superstition, but uh, but these things are real and they do happen, and this is why it's very dangerous to experiment with these kinds of things. Um, and there are books written about this topic and things um, you know that that have happened. There's this one very good book that I read um, called um, "A Young Man, Gurus, and Elder Paisius." Elder Paisius is um, like a like an elder in the Eastern Orthodox Church. He was a very saintly man did miracles um, and the story is about this man who kind of dabbled in the occult and he describes the things that began to happen to him and the things he would begin to see because of this experimentation that he did and he went to um, to like Hindu temples in India and he also dabbled in the occult there and then he went to Elder Paisios now having like been involved in all this demonic stuff um, he went to Elder Paisios and um, and he would pray for him and he spoke about how like when he would pray for him how he would change and so this, this is very real stuff, and, and God warned them from the very beginning to avoid it. He goes on, he says, whoever lies with an animal 
shall surely be put to death. This is again a perversion of God's intended plan for sexuality. So God makes it very clear that this is an abomination. Uh, he who sacrifices to any God except the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. Again, this is um, spiritual adultery. Then he speaks about oppression, um, the topic of oppression. He says, you shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. We had spoken about how like one common theme in all of the laws that God gives is that God is defending certain protected classes of people which are the most vulnerable. The most vulnerable include the widows, the orphans, those who are poor, and the strangers. And so these strangers are like visitors. These strangers are people who are not from among them, okay? And they happen to be coming to their camp. They happen to be dwelling among them. And of course, um, by, by nature, um, they might be being mistreated, neglected, ignored, um, you know, not, 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 not treated like of equal status as the rest. And so God is making specifically this law. He says, you will not mistreat the stranger nor oppress him. And then he reminds them because you were actually supported in Egypt for 400 years when you were a stranger there. And the Egyptians allowed you to live in their land, and they even gave you par best parts of the land, and they gave you so many of the things that, 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 that you were able to survive. So just as you were taken care of and you were not mistreated while you were strangers in their land, so also when strangers come to you, you also um, show them kindness and hospitality. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way, and they cry at all to me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath will become hot, and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. This is very powerful, like the way that God is defending the orphans um, or the widow, right? Like, like saying, if you mistreat these people who are vulnerable, who cannot help themselves and who cannot retaliate and cannot defend themselves, then you are going to contend with me. Like, I am the one who is going to repay, not them. You know, these people tend to be mistreated because um, there's they have no way of fighting for their rights. They have no way of defending themselves. They have no way of retaliating. They have no way of, like, you know, getting what they deserve, right, and, and getting equal treatment. So the Lord is saying that if you mistreat this class of people, then he says, what, my wrath will become hot and I will kill you with the sword. Like you will be punished because of your mistreatment for them. And so God is making it very clear in their mind to be careful around these people, to serve them and to treat them well. If you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, you shall not be like a money lender to him. You shall not charge him interest. This is the commandment against usury. If you've heard the term usury, usury is the word for charging interest. There is a difference between like the institutional, like, you know, like a bank, for instance, who is charging interest, like when it, because that's the way that they function, right? That's the, that's the business um, versus individuals who are charging interest. Here, God made it very clear that they are not to charge interest, okay? And Nehemiah, actually, in the time of Nehemiah, um, there was at the time um, people who were very wealthy who were living in Jerusalem and there were those who were very poor and the people who um, were wealthy were charging very very high interest to the poor whenever they would let them borrow money so much so that the poor wouldn't be able to repay and so they would have to be sold into slavery because they couldn't pay and Nehemiah was very angry at them and he says what in Nehemiah chapter 5 and I became very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and rulers and said to them, Each of you is exacting, exacting usury from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them. So this is what here God is establishing this law against usury. To, to when, if you're going to lend money to someone, then you, you ask them to pay you back the exact sum that you lend them. You are not giving them you're not asking for them to pay you back more. You are not, you're not making a business out of this. If you ever take your neighbor's garment as a pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering. It is his garment for his skin. What will he sleep in? And it will be that when he cries to me, I will hear, for I am gracious. 
So if if you borrow something of your neighbor, and this is, you know, someone who is poor, they have a garment and they have nothing else but this garment, okay? And you ask to borrow it from them. You must promise to return it to him the very same day before he will need it, before the sun goes down, because that is his only covering, right? And it says, what will he sleep in? If you have it, what will, what will he sleep in? So again, God is protecting those people who are being mistreated um, uh, because they cannot defend themselves. And God is saying about himself, he is gracious. You shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. There is, uh, St. Paul actually quotes this um, when when St. Paul was um, uh, was standing in front of the council and the high priest, and he criticized the high priest, okay? And this is in Acts 23. It says, And the high priest, Ananias, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Strike him is Paul. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you washed, uh, whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and you command me to be struck contrary to the law. So it was, it was illegal for them to strike Paul. And so he, when, when, the, when the high priest commanded that he be struck, so St. Paul's response is, God will strike you, right? Because you are judging me um, according to the law, but you are breaking the law at the same time. And those who stood by said, do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I did not know, my brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Which is this verse. You shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. How do you feel that this command should be applied today? And what does it mean for us? Don't talk bad about the president, okay? So what does that look like? So what is revile? What does it mean to revile or to curse? Uh, say bad words. To say a bad word like what? Like if you disagree with him. Why you know why you know why when you argue with him and and, and uh, without even as he without even thinking about what he's saying, he just wants to argue like as if like as if he don't care what he says to you. So like arguing for the sake of arguing. Yeah. So I yeah I mean, it is possible to be a hundred percent in disagreement with someone while still being respectful, right? It is possible to stand up and to speak against what someone is saying while at the same time being respectful, right? And, and I think that's what we've lost in our society completely. Like, that's completely lost. There's no, that doesn't exist anymore. I mean, when, when I was growing up, that was kind of like the goal. Like, that's what we tried to do. That's what at least people thought was right, is let's be respectful, but we can disagree, Okay, I don't think now that there's even any attempt to be respectful or it's seen that being respectful is actually like people don't deserve respect. So why even try to be respectful? And this is very true. Well, it's true in politics for sure, but it's also true on, you know, just a day to day level where people interact with each other, especially on social media, because you feel like protected and anonymous and you're not like actually like in person talking to somebody like it's hard to curse someone to their face. Like you have to be really angry to do that. But it's easy to curse people when you don't even know who they are and they're just random people who just, they just have a name um, and you don't even know the real name and you don't know where they are and you can just say whatever you want to them. So, you know, like the idea of being respectful to one another and to respect authority is something very, very um, clear in the scripture and very foundational in the scripture. The idea that we are to respect authority, and 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 um, like like when when God says that we should submit to the authorities, right? That means that we should obey the law, even the laws we disagree with, right? As long as it doesn't contradict God's law, right? So even if we completely disagree with the law and we think that it's the wrong law and it shouldn't be, as long as it's not actual sin, okay. God calls us to submit and he will hold us accountable to the submission that we have to the authority. And he will also hold us accountable to what we say about the authority, 
even if we believe that that authority is destroying the country, okay, even then we are still accountable to be respectful. Okay? So we can say what we want to say, and we can say the, the points that we want to say, and we can disagree as much as we want, but at the same time we should always be respectful to one another. Right? And, and St. Paul made this very clear actually in this example because he is there being mistreated. He is being mistreated by um, this council and they are striking him. And even he, when he realized that this was the high priest, his response was, I did not know that this was the high priest for, you shall s for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. To that extent, right? It doesn't mean that that means that he agreed that what he was doing was right. But the way that we treat each other is important. So this also, the other thing that's kind of lost now in our society is the idea that certain positions should be treated with more respect. Right, like there are, there are certain positions that should be treated with more respect. Uh, going again to the presidency, right? It's not about the person who is the president, it's about the presidency. It's the, 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 the idea that we look to the person who, as a country, collectively, has elected to be the leader, that that person, we should give some kind of honor to them. Even if we totally disagree with them. Even if we don't respect their character. But just the fact that they are the president says something. Because this, is, this, this command here is do not curse any ruler for the fact that they are ruler. Not because of they are a specific person the fact that they are the ruler, right? We give honor to the person who is the ruler. And that applies to everything. That goes back again to like children obeying the parents, goes to employees respecting their employers. It goes to like the congregation respecting the clergy. It goes to like the priest respecting the bishop. It, 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 in any type of authority that we have, right, we are to respect. And if we truly had this kind of respect, we can disagree all we want, but if we truly had this kind of respect, um, our society would be much more pleasant to live in, right? Because we can, we can, we we still have democracy, you know. One thing that the emphasis on rights and democracy, democracy for sure is a good thing, but but it's become kind of like the the lowest common denominator, like like what governs my actions is purely what is legal and what is illegal. What is my right? So I will use my right to the maximum all the time. Just because I have a right to say something doesn't mean that I should say it, right? Just because I, I cannot be prosecuted for saying something, just because it is my legal right given to me by the Constitution to say something, doesn't mean that saying it is wise, right? So, so that's something that nowadays, like, people are not, people tend not to think of it like that. They just say, okay, you know, I can say whatever I want. And they burn bridges and they destroy and they curse and they... They attack one another and so on, regardless of who they are. And it, it makes society to be a very kind of um, unpleasant place to interact and engage because the kinds of people that are in it um, uh, have no respect for one another. You shall not delay to offer the first of your ripe produce and your juices. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. So now this section of laws is speaking about God's portion. Okay, what is God's portion of everything that the people have? You shall not delay to offer the first of your ripe fruit, or of your of your ripe produce and your juices. The idea of the first fruit is one again one of these very fundamental things in the way that the expectations that God has from us. God does not ask for what is second or third or fourth or tenth. He asks for what is first. Meaning meaning if if I acknowledge that Every blessing I receive is from God. Every income I receive is from God. Every harvest I receive is from God. I give to God the very, the very first of it because that, that, that gives God the best of it, right? That gives God the first. I don't delay in giving, and then only later when I feel like I can afford it, that's when I give. Now I give at the very beginning, at the very, very first. Um, also, the firstborn, okay, right? The firstborns are consecrated to God. Right? That's when he says, the firstborns of your son you shall give to me. Remember, the firstborns also were the ones whom God redeemed. Because in Egypt, the firstborns, the plague, the tenth plague, was the killing of the firstborn. So when, when God allowed the Israelites to, um, to put the blood on the doorposts of their houses so that they would be spared 
right? This was the salvation of the firstborn, and now God is asking for the consecration of the firstborn, the ones who had been saved, the, the, these to be given to him as, um, as a service. Likewise, you shall do with your oxen and your sheep. It shall be with its mother seven days. On the eighth day, you shall give it to me. Um, St. Clement of Alexander, he speaks about this. So he's saying, like, the firstborn of a sheep would be offered as a sacrifice to God. The firstborn of, of sheep would be offered as a sacrifice to God, or oxen, okay? But, he says what? It shall remain with its mother seven days, and then on the eighth day you shall give it to me. So what does St. Clement say about this? He says, Scripture says, At least grant the offspring to its mother for its first seven days. For if nothing comes to be without reason, and milk flows in the mother for the nourishment of the offspring, then in taking the offspring away from the providential endowment of milk, a person is doing violence to nature. So saying, like, God intended for the mother to nurture this newborn for some time, which is why God gave the milk to the mother for the feeding of the calf. So allow this relationship, you know, allow the, the calf to stay with the mother for a time before you take it and offer it as a sacrifice. And you shall be holy men to me. You shall not eat meat torn by beasts in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. So it was unfit to eat like if you found like uh, an animal that had been already killed by a predator and it was like half eaten, right? He's saying it's, it's unfit for you to go and to take this meat that has been torn by beasts and, and, and eat it yourself, right? You should just throw it away um, to the dogs. Um, <coughs> this is chapter 22, okay? So chapter 23. You shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after m many to pervert justice. You shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. Okay, so several things. This is all related to laws about hypocrisy and justice. Okay, do not circulate false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. So be honest if you are called to testify in some kind of, to witness of something, be honest. Do not be unrighteous. Um, you shall not follow a crowd to do evil. So if you have a group of people who are doing evil, you are not to follow them, right? You are not to, to follow after the majority. And this is, you know, when we talk about democracy, like democracy has good things and it has things that are not so good. And one of the things that's not so good is because the majority rules. So what if the majority is wicked? You know, what if the majority is sinful? So then what? Like, like we should not be um, so uh, easily swayed by the majority. We should not be so easily swayed by uh, what people say, what people think, what people post, what people are doing. We shouldn't be, right? Because we shouldn't believe that the majority, just because the majority of people think a certain way, then that means it's correct. Do not follow a crowd to do evil, okay? Nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. Do not participate in the lies, okay? And also um, treat the poor with fairness. Don't show partiality to them. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. So honesty and truthfulness. Like, if even if you... Even if you you know, have an enemy, and you happen to meet his the, his animals that have like gone astray, have, have have run away from him, right? You are you should bring it back. Like this is serving your enemy. When when the Lord speaks about loving your enemies, serve your enemy by bringing it back to him again, and don't show partiality. Um, uh, Saint John Chrysostom he said, for if it was not right according to the law of the Jews to slight the beast of one's enemy. He who despises not the beast of burden, nor yet the soul of an enemy perishing, but that of a friend, what pardon shall he obtain? Meaning, if God, if the, if if our level of sensitivity should be to s show kindness even to the 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 animal that belongs to our enemy, how much more will God judge us in according to the way that we treat one another, that we treat our friends, that we treat you know we treat everyone? So so this is something for us. Like, if I were to find that my enemy 
um, something bad was happening to them, right? And I have the opportunity to fix it or to make it better. Would I take such opportunity or would I just let them kind of, um, you know, face the consequences of their situation and maybe even think to myself, like, this is God's justice. You know, God is bringing me justice on my enemy by allowing them to suffer in some way. No, God is saying, don't allow them to suffer. You know, if God is going to make them to suffer somehow, it'll be from him. If it's something within your hand to serve them and to help them, we should do so. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. So if you see like a donkey and the, 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 the load that it's carrying is so heavy that the, the, the donkey like fell on the ground and can't get up, right? You should actually um, help. You shall not pervert the judgment of your poor in his dispute. Keep yourself far from a false matter. Do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not justify the wicked. So again, speaking about the poor. And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. Okay, that's a very, I like the way this is written. It says, a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. What does that mean? Yeah, so when I receive a bribe, whatever wisdom, whatever discernment I had is now like corrupted, right? Because now I'm not, like I'm not operating by God's wisdom anymore. I'm not operating according to what is right and wrong, especially like someone who is in a position of like judge to, the, to judge what is, you know, between people. How is it that I will judge rightly? How is it that I will be able to discern the truth while I'm accepting bribe? Because in the end, bribery means that all I care about is myself, not justice itself. And perverts the words of the righteous. So even the words, like like this is where you, you, you can have a person who is hypocritical, who is all they're doing is they're receiving bribes and they're getting, they're getting like self-gain. And so you can't trust anything that they say because everything that they say is false. All they're saying whatever they need to say in order to get whatever outcome they want to get for the sake of those who have bribed them. Also, you shall not oppress a stranger, for you know the heart of a stranger, because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So again, going back to the law of the strangers, right? Do not mistreat outsiders, but empath empathize with them. Six years you shall sow your land and gather in it its produce. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the fields may eat. In like manner you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. So wha what, is, what is this? A Sabbath for the, for the land. A Sabbath for the land, yes. You're giving the earth a break. So one, from the perspective of agriculture, if you look at it just from the agriculture perspective, you are not overworking the land. So you're giving the land a chance so that when you plant it again the next season, it will be more fruitful, okay? But, but he's saying what? That the poor of your people may eat. So what would happen is, okay, is whatever is left over, like the people can use, the people can take. So actually the, the privately owned lands that people would use to farm, when it came to this like year of Sabbath, like the seventh year, anyone can come and, and take of the food that's there, right? And this was again a way that God was providing for the poor and the needy. And even the beasts of the field may eat. So he was, he was, he was saying, leave it so that everyone else who is not as fortunate as you or who is in need can come and eat of this land and you are not farming it. Okay. Yeah, so whatever was whatever they had saved up from before is what they could use. Exactly like the Sabbath day, right? The Sabbath day when God would give the manna, right? He would tell them on the Sabbath day the manna will not fall. But on the previous day, he will give you double manna so that you don't need to work on the day of the Sabbath. So it's the same idea here that whatever you've harvested in the previous six years, 
right, will be able to be enough food for you to live off of on the seventh year, while at the same time, those people who are poor and the animals and all that will benefit from your land that you are not using this year. On the seventh, seventh is called the year of Jubilee. So it's like every 50 years. That's when like this would happen, but more, even more than this would happen. Like everything would reset. Like essentially like, uh, I, I think, I know, I, th I think the, the, the seventh, the seventh, uh, seventh, like that last year would be the year of Jubilee. So it wouldn't be two years. It would just be the last year. So like 49 years, I think, I believe. Yeah. Yes. There's a question uh, regarding a verse from the previous chapter. Would it be wrong to take l late fees from tenants that don't pay the rent on time? So in the, in the context of business, obviously people charge fees and they charge interest. Actually, the only way that a bank can even function at all is because it has to, it has to charge some kind of interest um, you know, for, for giving out a loan for instance, right? So these laws are focusing on individual relationships with people, right? So if you had an individual person who, you know, like I, I, I let you borrow $100 and then, you know, I tell you like when you pay it back to me, you have to pay it back $105. That's usury, okay? And that's the thing that God is telling here the people they cannot do. But it's not talking about like an institutional banking type situation. Because even among the Jews, th they had ways of doing that. But, but um, when it comes to like individual um, relationships, that's when, um, that's when it was not allowed. Six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest. This is the Sabbath that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed, okay? So you see how like the, the laws of God, they have many dimensions, right? Like there's the literal dimension of what he's asking them to do. There's the moral dimension, which is there is a direct benefit to uh, other people. For instance, your laborers, the ones who are working your land, they get a day off for not working that day. And even your animals rest, right, that day. And there's the spiritual dimension also, which is that you that day of Sabbath should be dedicated to worshiping God and not to doing your secular work, okay? Um, so this day of the Sabbath is not just a day for God, but it's a day that benefits the poor. It's a day that benefits the animals. It's the day that benefits the servants. It's a day that benefits strangers, right? So God has, like, thought through all these reasons for why he's asking them to do this. And in all that I have said to you, be circumspect and make no mention of the name of other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. And he keeps um, pushing this point because the Israelites are getting ready to enter and be among all these other nations. And when they go interact with all these other nations, all of the other nations, they have many gods and they're idol worshipers. So he keeps telling them from the beginning do not worship other gods. Make no mention of the name of other gods. Do not worship like them. Actually, it came to be, you know, much later on after Israel had been established and so on, that even when the, the Israelites were not technically worshiping other gods, they still adopted the worship practices of other gods and applied them to God. So, for instance, they had what were called the high places. Okay? So the high places were places that the pagans would worship their gods because they would like build them up high on mountains believing like they're closer to heaven and that would be like a place of worship okay so so in israel they copied this idea of having high places so if they were they could be using those high places to worship pagan gods or even worshiping god but worshiping him in the context of this high place in the way that the pagans are worshiping god which was also wrong Right, so God is not is wanting them, not only not to worship other gods, but not to adopt the pagan worship practices and some and apply them to God as though God is going to accept it, because God told them very clearly how He wants to be worshipped. So and He and He explains. He says three times you shall keep a feast to Me in the year. 
okay? Three times. Now, there's actually more than three feasts, but these are like the three major feasts, and these are the ones that are expressed here. Um, the book of Leviticus talks in more detail about all of the feasts, but here's like a short preview of these three feasts, okay? You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat un unleavened bread seven days, as I commanded you, and at the time appointed in the month of Abib, for in it you, sh you came out of Egypt, none shall appear before me empty. Okay, we spoke about this feast um, at the time when the Passover was instituted, okay, because this is the feast associated with the feast of Passover, and the, um, and the leaven that represents sin would be purged out of the house for seven days, okay? So that's one feast that they already introduced to because they already practiced it when they, um, when they left Egypt and that they were to practice this feast every year. And the feast of harvest and the, the first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field. Okay, so what is the feast of harvest? This, harv this feast is a feast that was held at the beginning of the harvest season where, the, where they would gather the harvest, and this is where they would take the first fruits, and they would present the first fruits to God. Okay, so this is a second feast. He's telling them that they should practice every year. The feast of ingathering. This feast, actually, usually in the scripture, it doesn't use this term, ingathering. It's either called the feast of booths or the feast of tabernacles. And this would be at the end of the season. And what would they do? The Israelites, they would take, like, tents. They would dwell inside of tents. And, and as, a, as a reminder to them of, the, of when they were traveling in the wilderness, um, as, as a reminder of how God protected them while they were traveling and wandering in the wilderness. Okay, So you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which reminded them of what? Hmm? Passover, Passover, right? So that reminds them of when God protected them from the plagues and allowed them to depart Egypt. Okay, then you have the feast of harvest, which was what? Where they would offer the first fruits to God. And then you have the feast of ingathering or booths or tabernacles where they would dwell in booths or like or tents. Tents, right? To remind them of of their uh, journey in the, in the wilderness. Uh, their journey in the wilderness. Okay? So those three feasts God is telling them about very clearly here. Three times in the year, all your males shall appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, nor shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until morning. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Behold, I send an angel before you. Also, this is uh, okay. So here are some additional notes about these offerings. He's saying these three times a year, all of the the men will get together in order to make this sacrifices to God. Okay, and the, all the sacrifices will be made with um, with uh, with unleavened bread. So he says you shall not offer with leavened bread. Okay. And then the fat will not remain until morning. Why? Because the fat was to be burned in the sacrifice. Okay? So, so whenever God would institute the, the way that the sacrifices would be offered, the animal would be like divided up and different parts of the animal would be used for different things. So the best part of the animal was like the fat. That was like the, the best tasting part of the animal. That's the part that would get burned on the altar as an offering to God. So again, going back to the idea of the first fruit. So we're offering the best of what we have, the very first of what we have, and even of that, we're offering the best parts of it, okay, to God. Um, and you shall not bo boil a young goat in its mother's milk, which was seen as kind of like a cruelty, right? Again, like the, the milk of the mother was like a life, a source of life for the goat, so don't like boil the goat in, in the milk of the mother. Then God speaks to them about the divine presence. So he says, Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. So he's speaking about this angel, okay, um, that is like leading the way of the people. 
okay? And that they are to obey him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemy. So who is this angel? It's actually the, the God himself, right? Um, this is, this is a, a reference to the incarnation of, of the Lord. So if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you in to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. Okay, so God will be with them. If they obey him, God will grant them victory over their enemies. Okay, and, 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 um, and he will go before them and leading them in the land because whenever they are going to be called, you know, to go into the promised land, all of these nations are going to be living there. So God is preparing them, and he's saying, when I, uh, when I tell you to go into the land where all these people are dwellings, do not dwelling, do not be afraid, because I am going to be with you, and I will what? Cut them off. Of course, we know that when the time came, the people were afraid, and they chose not to go, right? And that's why they wandered in the desert for 40 years, because they, d they chose not to go, okay? But God is telling them now, this is what's going to happen, and trust me, because I will lead you to victory over them. Now he's going to speak to them about uh, not mixing with the other nations, not mixing with the other people that they meet. He says, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. Right? So when you s encounter these other nations, okay, and you see their idol worship, and you see their gods, do not bow to their gods, do not serve their gods. Do not do what they are doing, okay? But actually, you are to destroy their temples, right? You are to break down the sacred pillars. You are, you are to completely wipe off the face of the earth all the idol worship. And when we were speaking about, in the harvest meeting, about the, uh, the Coptic church history, and we spoke about the um, flight of the Holy Family into Egypt when, when um, Joseph received a vision saying that Herod wanted to kill um, the Christ child, and so he told them to depart and to flee to Egypt. And as they were um, traveling through Egypt, wherever the Holy Family would go, all of the idols that were there would, would just destroy, would get destroyed. All the temples would fall, everything would be destroyed. That's actually why there are so many uh, ruins in Egypt when it comes to these pagan temples of the ancient Egyptians. There was no war to destroy these temples, and they didn't just fall apart. This was actually when the Holy Family visited um, these sites. That's when these temples broke down on their own and were destroyed. So, um, so here he's saying, do not leave these temples standing. So you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. No one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. God gave them actually a really amazing blessing. When you think of a very primitive ancient people who, who had no technology and they were wandering in the, in the barren desert for 40 years, how were they giving birth? How were their clothes not wearing out? How were they finding food and drink all the time? How, what were they doing? You know, how would you survive? God made them to survive. He says what? I will bless your bread and your water. I will not allow you to get sick because you have no way of being healed. Like you have no hospitals. You have, you have no medicine. You have no way of recovering. So I'm just not going to let you get sick at all. Okay? You will not suffer miscarriage. Okay? You will be able to have children with no problem. And, and you will not be barren. Right? And, 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 and later he speaks about how he, he's not going to allow their clothes to deteriorate and all that. So... Really, like when you think about everything that God is doing for this people from the very beginning of when he brought them out of Egypt and he saved them and he is giving them the law and he's telling them how to live and he's giving them a special protection and something that is unique and different that no other people in the world had ever experienced. And God is giving them all of this. And the saddest part is that after he gives them all of this, they're still going to betray him, right? Um, but it, it's really... You know, sometimes maybe these laws can be very technical and kind of detailed. But when you really think about what is the motivation of these laws, it is really the love that God has for them. He knows they can't come up with this. He knows they don't have 
you know, they're not going to be able to fairly create a, f a fair set of laws that to govern themselves because they're very simple people and they're kind of stubborn people and they don't have any experience. And so God is giving them everything that they need, even how to govern themselves. He is giving them. I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. Like this people who has who has nothing really to be frightened of them. Right. And yet God is saying that when the people see you, they will be afraid because of you. They will be in confusion when they see you. Like, like they will run away from you, right? I will put my fear in them just when they see you. I will send hornets before you, which will drive out the Hivite and the Canaanite and the Hittite from before you. So you go, all this, it kind of maybe makes us think of like how God has given us the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. How God has given us the, the, the authority over the devil, right? God has given us authority over the devil. But who is st more strong? Like, who is stronger, the devil or us? Definitely the devil is stronger than us. But, but for God to give us the authority over the devil, it means that God is working in us to conquer the devil. Like, this is what God is doing. He is working in these people to conquer the nations that are stronger than them and more numerous than them around them. And he's saying, you will enter into all these places and you will be in their midst and you will not be afraid and you will not you will not be barren and you will not grow weary and you will not run out of food and water. You will you will flourish. Right. And you will not be barren because I will do this. I will send hornets before you like like all of nature is on your side. Right. All of nature is on your side. I will not drive them out from before you in one year. Lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. What is he saying? Hmm? It's going to be a process. And, and, and why is that? What is the reason given? So they have to work for it, yes. But what is the reason here that he says? Lest the land what? Huh? Become desolate. Why would it be desolate? And the beasts of the field become too numerous. Right? No one's there. Like imagine if, if God just wiped out a whole civilization of their enemies. What's going to happen to that city? It's going to be overrun by the animals, like it's going to break down. So by the time the Israelites get to it, it's like a wilderness, right? So actually what God did is when he would allow them to enter into a certain place, th they would have victory over the enemy and the city is already ready for them. Like there's already a city, it's already built, it's already got everything, right? And they just take it over and now it's their city, right? Like, like you know, like the the city of Jerusalem, which was the city, the city of God, the most famous city in the capital of Israel where the temple was. This city was actually used to be called Jebus. And it was, it was the dwelling place of a people called the Jebusites. And when God allowed them to conquer it, okay, now this is their place. You know, of course they, they built things and they did more work, but, but that was the way that God gave them everything. Like there was already a people living there. God allowed them to conquer the people and to take over the, the place where they lived and so it, it, it was far less work for them than having to start from scratch, okay? So little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit all of the land. And I will set your bounds from the Red Sea to the sea, Philistia, and from the desert to the river, for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. So he's giving like the bounds of where the nation of Israel will be. Okay, and he's telling them, you shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They, they shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will be surely a snare to you. And this is like one of the most important commands that God ever gave them. And the most critical thing that they disobeyed God in. Because ultimately the downfall of this people was because they disobeyed this. Because instead of keeping their enemies far from them, 
They made covenants with them. They allowed them to dwell with them. They intermarried with them. They worshipped their gods and served them. And they indeed were a snare to them. Um, there's actually a, there was a group of people because at the beginning, when they were first entering into the land and conquering, they were more zealous to be obedient to God. And so the people around them knew that God had commanded them to destroy all the people around. This group of people is called the Gibeonites. So these Gibeonites, they were very clever. They said, if the people realize that we are here, their neighbors, they're going to come and destroy us all. So instead, we are going to pretend like we are not from here. And they made their clothes look ragged, and they made themselves look like they be, had been on a very long journey and traveling, so that when they met the Israelites, they told them, oh, we have been coming from a very far journey. Um, uh, you know, we are not, we're not living here. We are not your neighbors. So that they made a covenant with them, and then only later did they realize that it was a, that it was a lie, right? So, so the fact that the people, um, you know, compromised this and made, you know, <laughs> made allegiances and made connection and made relationships with these people and intermarried with them, believing that they would not be influenced by them. This was the downfall of Israel. This is why they fell into idol worship. And this is why even after many, many, many generations of, you know, of, of repenting and falling and repenting and falling, and ultimately they rejected and they, they refused to repent and they were destroyed. So um, it's, uh, it's very sad and it's very clear from the very beginning how God, knowing, you know, the dangers of what lies ahead of them, made it very clear to them over and over again what they should do so that they would be able to choose for themselves. Any comments before we conclude? There's a question on YouTube. Yeah. Um, when we say that the firstborn belongs to God, is this based on the New Testament or the Old Testament? So this this has its roots in the Old Testament. You know, this is this is from the this is from the very beginning, and actually initially, um, God consecrated the firstborns as the priest. So so we know that what ended up happening is that the children of Aaron from the tribe of Levi are the ones who became the priests. Okay, and this was a special honor given to them. But this was not the original plan. The, the way that the Levites were chosen was because at the time when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and he saw that the people were worshiping the golden calf, he, 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 he went and told the people to go and to strike down all the people that were worshiping the, the calves and making, making the idol. So the Levites were the ones who responded in obedience and went out and did this. So it was because of like the zeal and the obedience of the Levites in this that God chose the Levites to be the, the priestly class. But prior to this, it said actually that God intended the firstborn to be the consecrated ones because they were the ones who were redeemed in the 10th plague. They were the ones who were chosen by God, saved, and been chosen and consecrated by God. So initially, um, the intention was is that who would be the priestly class? It would actually be all the firstborns. Okay, but then that, that changed, yes. No, it was the firstborn male. Firstborn male. That's the law of the firstborn is the firstborn males. Yes. And, and, and the same is true actually with the animals. So like whenever it says like offer the animal, the animal that would be offered is always the male. So if the firstborn of let's say sheep or whatever is a female, that's not offered. It's only the male animals that are offered. And again, why? Because this is all symbolic to the Lord Christ, right? Like this was uh, uh, like, a, like, like to start to form into the minds of the people what is sacrifice, why are we sacrificing, and that ultimately all these sacrifices that we are sacrificing are not sufficient for our forgiveness, which is why we are looking for the ultimate sacrifice, th the Messiah himself who is coming and to offer himself for us. Okay. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We thank you, O God, for your mercy and kindness upon us. And we thank you for allowing us to see how you formed the nation of Israel from nothing, O Lord, into what it became. We, th we thank you, O God, because you provided for them 
And you told them, O oh God, how much that even though they were wandering in the wilderness, that they would be protected from famine and plague and, and weariness and barrenness and sickness and in everything that you did, O oh Lord, to protect them as you led them to the promised land. We believe and know, O oh Lord, that you also see us, that even though we might be feeling like we are wandering in the wilderness of this world and all the struggle and all the darkness and all the wickedness that is here, but we ask, O oh God, that you, you help us to, to, to prosper and to thrive and you help support us, O oh Lord, even during these difficult days that we would arrive, O oh Lord, to the promised land in peace. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion and the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen. And also with your spirit.